Hello, everybody, and welcome to Explain It to Me Like I'm a 10-Year-Old. Today, I'm very lucky to have Shane Battier with me, a two-time NBA champion. As a college player at Duke, he won the NCAA championship and won the National College Player of the Year Award in 2001. He then went on to be selected sixth overall in the NBA draft and has played for the Grizzlies, Rockets, and Heat. After making the playoffs in 10 of his 13 seasons in the NBA, he retired. Now, he runs his foundation, the Battier Take Charge Foundation, and worked for the Heat. I'm so excited for our interview today. Hi, Shane. How are you doing today? Charlie, I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for for having me today. It's an honor. Thank you. I'm so excited. Okay, so um, my first question for you today is, so Shane, as a player, you've had so many individual accomplishments, but 10 of your 13 years in the NBA, they've been on playoff teams. And at Duke, you are in the Final Four a lot. So I'm from you, I'm curious, what do you think makes a great team? Well, well first of all, I've been super blessed uh, to, to be part of, of special teams ever since uh, YMCA ball all the way to winning the NBA championship. And uh, there are some common themes between all the great teams that I've played with. Uh, first of all, you, you have to have good players. All right, you can't win without uh, without some talent and, and, some, and some horses to to, to, to play with. Uh, but the the great teams that I've been a part of, um, they've really cared about each other, and they've been willing to sacrifice for each other. Um, sacrifice is is really easy to do until you're the one asked to be sacrificed. You know, whether, whether it's playing time or, or shots or opportunity, um, on paper, it all sounds good. Uh, but when it gets down to it, everyone wants to play. Everyone wants to have some limelight. Um, but the truly great teams are able to see, you know what? When we win and we play together, we play at a higher level. And when we win, everyone gets credit. Everyone gets the limelight. Um, and so the te- I've been on some bad teams as well. And you could tell on the bad teams I played on, uh, there wasn't that, that shared sense of sacrifice or, or teamwork. It was about, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to do what I do. Forget everybody else. And we all know that's the quickest way to have a losing team. Mm-hmm. What do you think made all these Duke teams so great? Like the past 20 years, they've almost been in the final four every single time. Well, I think it helps to have Coach K at the helm. Coach K is an amazing leader. Uh, but what Coach K did is he made us believe that Duke was our, our team. It wasn't Coach K's team. It was our team. You know, whether it was Jason Williams or Trajan Langdon or Steve Wojciechowski, all the way down to our walk-ons like Justin Caldback and J.D. Simpson. When you put the Duke practice jersey on or the Duke game jersey on, we were representing Duke and that meant something. And when it, when something means something to you personally, you always give it your best. Um, and so we were so lucky to have a coach to, to put it in those terms that we weren't just playing for coach K we were playing for ourselves. We were playing for our Duke family. We we're playing for, for history. And um, that's a big reason why we had success over the last uh, really 40, 42 years of coach K's uh, coaching time. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I mean, you've been coached by Coach Kane, many other legendary coaches. What makes a great coach? Well, any great leader um, or coach share very similar traits. 
uh, first of all, they really, really think about their teams and their people, right? Coach K was constantly thinking about, you know, what does Jason Williams need? What does Trajan Langdon need? What does Elton Brand need? And every person is different on a team, right? Some need a hug every single day. Some need a kick in the pants every single day. But a great leader really, really understands every single need of each one of his players. Um, Coach K was amazing and every great leader is amazing talking about culture. What are we willing to accept? What effort are we willing to accept? Is it okay to show up five minutes late for practice? Is it okay not to make your, your time in the wind sprints? Is it okay not to, to, to get extra shots up after practice? And the answer at Duke was no, it's not okay. And it wasn't just Coach K, it was all of us saying, no, this is not what is acceptable. We want to be the best conditioned, the most focused, uh, the most together team. And that was our standard uh, that Coach K set for us. And um, Coach K was an amazing communica communicator. We were always talking. You know, in basketball, everyone, want, everyone wants to be really cool, right? And be cool and look, you know what's cool? Talking. And the best teams, uh, whether you're talking about Michael Jordan's teams or Kobe's teams or LeBron's teams or the Duke teams, are amazing communicators. And they always talk to each other. They always know the situation. And so I think thinking of, of his team, uh, talking about culture and communication were what set Coach K apart. Mm -hmm. So when I was doing my research for this interview, I also came across your talk at the Nantucket Project in 2014. I, just, I really love the message. And you talk about those hard things that don't really get noticed, but are so important to the success of the team. Can you kind of explain that uh, to our audience? Yeah. You know, as a kid, um, you know, I was kind of tall. I was kind of goofy. All right. People kind of made fun of me. Uh, because I was tall and goofy and had big ears and I was a, a, a foot taller than everybody else. And so what I realized is I couldn't control what other people thought of me, right? But I could control what I thought of me. And so I became so focused on the things that I could control, my effort, my attitude, my preparation, how hard I worked, how much I talked, how much I hustled, all those things had nothing to do with how tall or gawky I was or funny looking, or it didn't have anything to do with anyone's, what anyone said about me. Those are things I control. And I realized when I control those things and do those things to the best of my ability, guess what? I have success. And guess what? The people who are making fun of me because I was different, they stopped making fun of me because I became a pretty good player. And so uh, my entire basketball career was centered around how do I do the things that I control, my attitude, my effort, my preparation, my enthusiasm, my communication to the best of my ability. And if I do that, I was certain that I would always play. And so that's the message of, of, of most of my talks and the Nostad All-Stars. Focus on what you can control, not what others say or the things that, that you can't control. Yeah. Well, you know, talk, talk a bit about the, the no stats, all stars. I'm, I'm a huge Michael Lewis fan. I've read the blind side. I liars poker, right? He wrote an article about you, the no stats, all star about your extensive use of statistics when it wasn't, you know, as common in basketball. How did you become so focused on data? Well, ironically, I had data 
uh, explained to me like I was a 10 year old uh, because when you start talking about math and basketball, people are like, ah, I don't want to go to school. I just want to play basketball. Right. And so I was lucky to play for the Houston Rockets and, and two gentlemen by the name of Sam Hinkie and, and Daryl Morey, who were the general managers of the Houston Rockets. And they started using statistics basically to, to make their teams, but like kind of advanced statistics. And uh, the way they explained it to me is that we, re- we know that when Kobe Bryant goes to his right hand, he's going to score six out of 10 times. But when he goes to his left hand, he's only going to score four times out of 10. Now, Charlie, with regarding Kobe Bryant, do you want him to go to his left hand or to his right hand? Do you want him to do the thing that he scores six times or four times? Four right? times. <laughs> four times, right? Yeah. And so the way I learned about basketball is that there are like a ton of situations and plays where do the things that are good for you. And so I, when I guarded Kobe Bryant, when I guarded Carmelo Anthony, when I guarded Manu Ginobili, Dirk Nowitzki, I tried to find just what their weakness was. And I tried to make them do that weakness again and again and again and again. And to be honest with you, I didn't care if they made or missed the shot. I really didn't. All I cared about was what move did they make and did they go to their weakness? And if you do that again and again and again and again, um, magically, you're going to have success. And people aren't going to be able to explain why, but you're like, ha I'm just making people do what they are not very good at. And that is the basics of, of analytics. <laughs> yeah. You, could you uh, like walk us through a play and what you would do specifically? Yeah. And so, like, I love guarding Kobe Bryant. And he was my favorite player to play because he was the best player I played against. And so... Uh, there was a certain play where he would catch the ball uh, on the elbow, um, in the elbow area, and he did an isolation. And so I knew it was a one-on-one move. I knew he was going to shoot the ball. Um, and so um, I had to, to uh, come up with a plan to try to guard Kobe. And so that exact, that exact uh, example that I used was true. And I knew when he was at the elbow and he caught the ball and had that isolation play, when he went to his right hand, okay, it was actually a 62% shot, okay? Because I knew all the data. I knew all the scouting reports. But when he went to his left hand off that elbow isolation play, it was only a 42% shot, right? So every time I sent him left, he was, you know, basically 20% worse. And, um, you know, look, he made a ton of shots going left, but I was okay with that. I was okay with that because uh, the scouting report said, make Kobe go left. And um, I always played the scouting report. And uh, over time, you know what? It worked out pretty well. He had some big games, but uh, I was okay with, with some of the games he had against me. What are some of those matchups that are super memorable to you playing against Kobe? Oh, man. Well, the second time I played against Kobe, um, it was in, the, in the, uh, the Staples Center in Los Angeles. The Lakers are the best team in the league. And I played for the Memphis Grizzlies. We were, we were one, of the, one of the worst teams. And I had just come from Duke where I won the national defensive player of the year award three straight years. So I'm full of confidence. And I'm like, I got Kobe, you know, let me guard him. Let me add him. And Kobe Bryant scored 56 points on me in three quarters. I mean, they were beating us so badly that he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. And so like, I was embarrassed. He kicked my butt. 
And I said, look, this guy is awesome. He's a different animal. I got to figure out a way to defend him better. And so Kobe became like the ultimate challenge for me. And, uh, you know, I miss him dearly. And I, I wish that we could have these conversations where I, I would, t- I could tell him that like, I was so nervous about playing against them. And, uh, you know, he kicked my butt sometimes, but you know, Kobe, I got you a few times too. Um, but he, you know, he's, he was such an amazing competitor, uh, that, uh, that, that I really missed the chance to, to have this discussion with him. What do you think separates, you know, these great players like Kobe and LeBron that you've played against and with from just other all-stars and great players? It's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, well, first of all, the guys who are the, at the top of the game, people don't know how hard they work. They work on their bodies. They work on their skills. And they are so focused on how, would I, how do I become the best? And they don't make excuses. There are a lot of players out there who want to be great, but the second it gets kind of hard, they say, well, I'm just okay being average, or I've put in enough work. The truly, truly great players, when they start to hurt, when when their muscles ache, when they're tired, they say, you know what? This is when other people quit, and this is when I'm going to continue to work. And that's what I've learned from playing with great players like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Ray Allen, Tracy McGrady, Yao Ming, Pau Gasol, Luis Scola. Um, the truly great, great players have a higher level, and they never, never give in to fatigue or pain. When you look back on your NBA career, what have been your favorite basketball memories? Oh, man. I was so lucky. I was so lucky, so lucky to have an amazing career. Obviously, winning the NBA champ- championship in 2013, uh, hitting six three-pointers in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, uh, which no one expected, you know, probably even me, um, was a, a highlight. Uh, winning uh, the 2001 National Championship at Duke, beating Arizona in Minneapolis at the Metrodome was, was a dream of mine that, that came true. Getting drafted in the NBA uh, 2001, the sixth pick to the Memphis Grizzlies was, was a dream. Uh, playing for the USA national team in 2006, representing our country and wearing, wearing the red, white, and blue on uh, the world championships in, in Japan. Um, winning three state titles at Detroit Country Day uh, with, with my best friends in high school. Um, and so I, I've had a lot of success, but uh, what I've been most proud about is I've been part of great teams uh, with really good people who I think have made me better, but I know I've made them better as well. And so looking back, that's what I'm most proud of. So after playing in the NBA for 13 years, you retired and and focused on your foundation and working with the Heat. I'm really curious, like, how do you bring that same level of intensity and from playing into what you do after the NBA? That's a great question, Charlie. Look, I was very lucky and I had a lot of opportunity, mostly because I was very hardworking, but it helped to be six foot eight, right? And a pretty good basketball player. Um, but I know if I didn't have basketball, that my, my opportunities would have been very limited, even though I had big dreams, big ambitions to do big things in the world. And so I made a promise. I said, look, Shane, if I ever make it to the NBA, it's my responsibility, my duty to find kids who are like me and give them a chance. And so uh, that's why we, we started the Battier Take Charge Foundation. We've been around for uh, over 12 years now, and we've helped over 
100 kids in our program go to college, graduate from college, get great jobs, uh, but really just be the best version of themselves. And so um, it's not that hard to, to ramp up the intensity when you find young people and people who want to do great things, but just need a little help. And so it's, it's an amazing uh, journey that we've been allowed to, to, to go on with our students and our scholars. And uh, we know there's a lot more, a lot more young people out there that, that need help. And so that's, that's the intensity that we're bringing, trying to find those young people, trying to help them uh, get to college and have success in life. Oh, definitely. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. Have there been any stories of people that you've helped that are really meaningful to you? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's amazing stories. Um, we have one student uh, from Miami who'd never been on a plane before, and he had a full ride to Stanford University. And so one of the greatest you know, universities in the entire world, uh, it's going to change his life. And uh, Pierre is an absolute genius and just a brilliant, brilliant young person uh, to have that opportunity and to be able to help him. Uh, just really change the world and change his family and change his community. Uh, it just makes us want to do more and more and more. And we have now we have young professionals and we have lawyers. We have our first doctorate uh, candidate. Uh, and so there's so many, there's so many amazing young people uh, out there that just need a chance. Just need a chance. You give them a chance. Amazing things can happen. I'm living proof of that. Um, and so that's, that's our, that's our mission. What's what's your goal for your foundation in 20 plus years? <laughs> our our goal in 20 years is to have the this young people, the scholars that come through our program start their own foundations to find kids who are like them. Like I'm trying to find kids who are like me. And if we can do that and we start to create a huge flywheel of of success of people helping people, helping people, uh, man, we're really going to change the world. So that's, that's the goal in 20 years. And, and even though you've, you've, been, you've been working so hard in your foundation, has it been challenging leaving the MBA? Is there still like kind of a, a hole of competition that you want to fill? There, there is, Charlie. Um, when I retired eight years ago, can't believe it's been that long, uh, you know, you, you miss the locker room. You miss the competition. You miss the butterflies that you get from playing against a Dirk Nowitzki and the Carmelo Anthony and Tracy McGrady. And so it's, there's nothing like playing in the NBA playoffs in front of, you know, a packed arena. And so now I'm a huge golfer. I love golf. If I could golf every day, I would. And so, you know, playing my friends in a, in a Nassau match or, or a, 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 you know, a club championship, you know, that's my competitive drive. So I tell guys, look, I used to have guys like Kobe and Dirk. You know, now I have Jeff and Larry, you know, you're getting the same intensity as those guys got. So, uh, you know, you, you try to have fun and it's not the same, but it's still pretty fun to compete at golf. Yeah. And, you know, I know you've also uh, done a couple of investments and actually a couple episodes back, I interviewed Shadi Bakur, Pathwater. Nice. That was yep. one of your investments, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, what leads you to invest in a company like that? What do you look for and, and why do you invest? First of all, I, I look for people with integrity, with great ideas. Um, I love innovation. I love technology. I love thinking about how can we do things better, right? And how can we help the world? So a company like Pathwater, which I invested in with, with Shadi Bakur, you know, Shadi is, is a really, really sharp, energetic young guy. 
And he's got a noble mission, you know, to take plastics out of the world uh, with uh, recyclable, infinitely recyclable uh, aluminum drinking bottles. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a noble a noble company and i think we have a noble mission and it's it's fun to try to create something from scratch and be a part of that and so uh, even though i don't play basketball anymore i get a lot of enjoyment out of um, finding and helping young sharp people who want to change the world so my final question for you today is what is your advice to a kid that wants to achieve something great my advice is that whatever you want to do, and it could be host your own podcast. It could be, I want to go to college. It could be, I want to go to the NBA. It could be, I want to be a governor one day, is write that goal down, okay? And put it somewhere where you see it every single day. Um, I did that. And because there's so many times in life where you want to do something, you sort of forget about it because you're distracted by TikTok or video games or school or chores, whatever it is. You have to remind yourself every single day when you wake up, okay, what's my goal today? And am I ready on this single day to get one step closer to that goal? And it's amazing when you start putting those steps together after a couple of days, after a week, after a month, after a couple of years, how much closer you are to that goal, how much better you are, but you have to remind yourself because there's so many distractions, okay? So whatever it is, write it down. Put it somewhere where you see it, you know, preferably uh, in the morning when you're brushing your teeth or getting dressed. And just remind yourself of that goal. It goes a long, long, long ways. Shane, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this interview and I learned so much. Charlie, you're doing great, man. I'm really impressed by your questions and your poise. You know, keep, keep working. You got a future. You got a future, my man. Thank you. <laughs>